You are listening to the 3CR podcast of Encyclopedia. Encyclopedia is broadcast live every Sunday from 2 p.m. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au. Good afternoon and welcome to the show on this um, sunny and warm afternoon after uh, all that rain this week. Um, Geez, up and down and all over the place um, with the weather, but uh, on to things that matter more. This is in Psychedelia. Thank you very much to Freedom of Species, um, who will be back uh, next uh, week. Actually, does something, does anything matter more than the weather? It's pretty important. The climate overall. Sorry, uh, I'm just distracting myself. Uh, yeah, uh, Freedom of Species, if you want to find out more, um, head to the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. Uh, subscribe to their podcast. You can find their social media as well. And while you're there, find us. I've uploaded more podcasts, so there's lots of stuff uh, to engage with. And you can head to our website as well for more uh, articles and b- information and bits and pieces. And that's npsychedelia.org. Um, and Ash, hey, how are you going? Afternoon, I am quite well. Now we've got quite the uh, quite the show this afternoon. Um, I caught up with uh, Michael uh, Pettersson. Um, it, uh, yes, that's pronouncing it right. He's uh, it's it's Nordic. Or, or, oh. You'll find out about that. Um, uh, for, he was a member of the Legislative Assembly uh, in the ACT, uh, and he was uh, for the for the Labor Party, and he was uh, integral in getting uh, the cannabis uh, legalisation slash decriminalisation uh, happening there. And Ash, you've got a couple of uh, interviews. Uh, yeah, we're going to be talking space weed with Dr. Christopher Zalewski, um, old friend of mine. He actually finished his PhD here in um, uh, Melbourne, and um, we met when he was studying at Monash Uni. Um, Kind of a, a, a friend of community radio. He used to be the chair of the radio station at Monash Uni once upon a time. Um, but we're going to be talking about why you send weed to space. Uh, and then we're also going to be catching up with Dr. Peter Rhodes, who is a lecturer in quantum computing. But we are not going to be talking about quantum computing. We're going to be talking about a recent blog post that he wrote detailing how absurd Australia's medical cannabis laws are and what it's actually like when you try and access a product. Uh, earlier this week, I went along to the book launch of Kate Sear, uh, Associate Professor Kate Sear from uh, Monash University's Law Department. Uh, uh, her book, Law, Drugs and the Making of Addiction, Just Habits, uh, in the Melbourne CBD. And I recorded a little bit of audio there that I'm going to play for you. Uh, the first voice is from uh, one of the guests. I actually couldn't catch the name and it's not in any of the material that I could find. Uh, but just some words of praise uh, for what uh, Kate is doing in her new book, Law, Drugs and the Making of Addiction, Just Habits. There's also a video on Facebook if you want to watch. Historically, the reality lawyers chose to bring into being for people of colour, women and other populations, including people who use alcohol and other drugs, exacerbated and entrenched disadvantage, pain and suffering. We have an obligation to think through with care what we do to, for and with these populations. But when I started working on this book, I wanted to explore how legal systems conceptualised alcohol and other drug addiction, so-called, and how addiction was being mobilised by lawyers and judges in their work. And as Suzanne's already mentioned, I interviewed lawyers and judges and magistrates from across Australia and Canada, and I asked them a series of open-ended questions about how did drugs and alcohol come up in the work they did, and what did it mean to them, what did they think it was? And my driving concern initially was to examine how addiction played out across different legal areas to see if there were contradictions and 
controversies. I also wanted to better understand how we think about the relationship between alcohol and drugs and other social problems. What do we think addiction is, in other words, and what do we think it does to people? To my great surprise, almost from the outset, family violence emerged as a very strong theme. Many of the lawyers I interviewed spoke about the practice of using drugs or alcohol to, uh, as a kind of strategic device to try and excuse or explain away family violence, particularly men's violence towards women. Um, wherever it suited the case that they were running, they argued, if they could, that men's violence towards women, including sometimes sexual violence, was caused by alcohol or other drug addiction. Now, lawyers told me that they thought it was strategically advantageous to do this um, because the alternative was, was too shocking. And this was so sometimes even in the, the absence of any evidence or instructions or advice from their client that there was any link. Lawyers talked about cases where it might be argued, for example, that violence against women was caused not by a perpetrator's consumption of substances, but sometimes by the consumption of substances by victims themselves, mainly women. For example, lawyers might argue that men lashed out at women because of frustrations about their partner's drug use. And the men were sometimes positioned as sick or enthralled to drugs, as hopeless subjects who had no other choice but to assault and hurt women. One of the lawyers I spoke to said that what he knew was best was to argue before judges that their client was simply whipped to the gutter by drugs and had no other choice. And with the death of Hannah Baxter today, I think you know the, the kind of like the language I'm talking about, that repeated attempt to explain my violence. Now the accounts of these lawyers were striking, mostly because, as Annie's already mentioned, lawyers often didn't stop to ask their clients about how they might feel to see themselves or their actions or their experiences positioned in these kinds of ways. And often lawyers I spoke to assumed that what went on in court was meaningless or just for show. As if things that were said in the courtroom for strategic purposes weren't really real and could be separated out from the real life of people and from how people might come to understand themselves. But many of the lawyers I spoke to did recognise this as a major problem, an ethical problem and a political problem. Many of them said that it, was, that it was problematic for lawyers not to stop and think about the impact of the way they spoke upon people. So a major theme of my book, somewhat accidentally, um, became about the ethics of, of what lawyers do. The way they speak to people, the way they speak about people, and the damage that can be done along the way. Whether people are positioned as sick uh, or chaotic, as addicts or as, as victims who brought everything on themselves, there is a need for a lot more critical reflection about these practices and what they do. In the end, my aim became to trace them and to ask whether we could do things differently. 
And that was uh, Associate Professor Kate Sear, author of Law, Drugs and the Making of Addiction. Uh, And that was from the book launch at uh, The Loop Project uh, on Wednesday evening. Um, And we will be catching up with Kate to talk a bit more about that because that's a a huge topic that we want to to dive into. And we've got some some guests and potentially some some co-hosts or or hosts uh, who will take care of that show. Um, Now, uh, first up, uh, we've got some music, Ash. Uh, You've you've got some uh, music uh, that you've chosen for us this Uh, afternoon. Yeah, Bushwhackers, Marijuana Australiana. Well, it used to be called a demon drug, ganja, weed or grass. You could roll up a joint, pass around a bong and it'd knock you on your ass. But now it's like the new penicillin, the saviour of a nation's health. You don't need to go around to the chemist, just grow the bloody stuff yourself. Talk about it. Australiana Better than those prescription drugs Makes you feel like a Dalai Lama Marijuana Re-energise your karma Whatever you got, it'll kill the lot You can buy from your nearest farmer Us rockstar smoked a lot of weed back then But now it's medication No opioids, less paranoid It's a win-win situation it's fixed me back and it's fixed me knees and it's made me well adjusted. A can of piss and some cannabis. Good to know that I won't get busted. Talk about marijuana, Australiana. Better than those prescription drugs. Makes you feel like a Dalai Lama. Marijuana, re-energise your karma. Whatever you got, it'll kill the lot. You can find from your nearest farmer. Well, half the world's addicted to those rotten old drugs they push. But you can grow this on your balcony, or you can hide it in the bush. You can bake it in a cookie, you can put it in your tea, you can rub it on your partner's back. And if it makes you smile once in a while, well, you can't ask them all that. Talk about marijuana. Australiana Better than those prescription drugs Makes you feel like a Dalai Lama Marijuana Re-energise your karma Whatever you got, it'll kill the lot You can buy from your nearest farmer Well, medicinal marijuana It's good for the farming folk And growing hemp makes a lot of sense And what you don't sell, you can smoke And if you grow a real lot, you can feed it to your stock Even in a time of drought The bees will make more honey and you'll make more money Till the ATO finds out that you're growing that Marijuana, Australiana Better than those prescription drugs Makes you feel like the Dalai Lama Marijuana, re-energise your karma Whatever you got, it'll kill the lot It was different all those years ago when we lived in fear of a bust. Dodgy dealers or undercover cops and you didn't know who to trust. But now we can all go to Canberra, where the pollies have all gone green. So before you vote, just take a tote and we're all living the dream. Talk about marijuana, Australiana. Better than those prescription drugs Makes you feel like a Dalai Lama Marijuana 
re-energize your car. Whatever you got, it'll cure the lot. You can buy it from the nearest farmer. Whatever you got, it'll cure the lot. You can buy it from your nearest pharmacy. How good is marijuana? You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. Today on the show, we have Dr. Christopher Zalewski, Director of Research, Plant Sciences and Co-Founder of Front Range Biosciences that are sending cannabis to space. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Ash. It's a pleasure to be here. So why? Why are we sending cannabis to space? Well, space provides a very interesting environment for us to be able to study plants because, of course, here on Earth, we have this phenomenon of gravity, of course, right? That, you know, has an effect on our life, keeps things on the ground, and generally helps us navigate through our life in a particular sort of order because of that. Uh, when you send something into space and gravity no longer is, a, is an issue, it then provides a, a very interesting research environment uh, for us to be able to study certain phenomena in plants. And just really quickly, what I mean by that is that gravity affects plants. It has to detect or figure out a way what is up and what is down. And if you take that factor away from plants, then how they react uh, provides a very compelling research situation, right? So we can ask a lot of questions about how plants can determine their position, if you will. And uh, being able to throw things or send things up into space really provides us with a great environment for that. So does that mean that the seeds are going to be germinated in, in space to study that phenomenon? Well, that's a good question. Um, we're not really sending seeds up into space. What we're sending is actually non-specific cells called callus. And so we have callus from coffee and callus from hemp, which are going to be launched up and they're going to be um, and they're going to be living, so to speak, in a plate that has media in it, which provides the nutrients for the callus to to survive. And then we're, of course, we're going to be keeping a duplicate of those plates and that callus on the earth. Uh, that said, there has been some seeds set up in space already for other plants uh, for similar experimentation. And those sort of resources are available on the internet if you just wanna go ahead and search for them. There's a lot of journal articles on them. Okay, so I, I don't think we've spoken to anyone on the show before that kind of works in genetics and, and sort of bioscience to do with cannabis. So can you tell us a little bit more about um, what else Front Range Bioscience does, particularly with cannabis? Sure. So Front Range is a agricultural technology company, and we focus on breeding and nursery production of new plant varieties and seeds for hemp and the coffee industry. So hemp is the variety of cannabis plant, of course, that contains negligent levels of THC. It was declassified as a Schedule One drug here in the United States last year. Um, and we're going to be partnering with some other individuals or other entities, should I say, uh, to be able to do this. We provide the plant material, uh, Space Cells USA and BioServe Space Technologies at the University of Colorado Boulder are our partners on this mission. And they provide a lot of the administrative and operational logistic infrastructure necessary for this to occur. So both basically plants 
seeds and genetics is our forte as a, as a company. So I know historically in the medical cannabis uh, industry in the United States, there's been issues around that that point of genetics. So things in um, medical dispensaries being called high CBD varieties, but the um, genetics don't necessarily match that. Could you give us a bit of an update on um, what's happening with that? And is there involvement with like the bioscience industry in, in sort of certifying that things are what they claim to be? Well, you bring up another good point about the industry. It's, uh, I think we still have a lot to learn about this plant. And the reason why is because as other research was being conducted on other crops, such as corn, soybean, everything that we take for granted that we consume in our daily life, uh, there was a prohibition on being able to research and work with this plant for about 50, 60 years until recently. And so as a result of that prohibition, it was difficult for any scientist or set of scientists or company or any entity whatsoever to be able to conduct the necessary research on understanding how genetics might tie into these sort of things. Um, one thing I will say is that what sets us apart as a business versus others is that we have structures and procedures in places to be able to create a quality control system so that what you get from us is something that we have researched or something that we have been transparent about how we're able to generate the data. And I don't think that's really well done in this industry right now. Uh, I think it's something that's emerging, watch the space, so to speak. And I think that as more and more entities come online into commercialization, I think many more of their processes and procedures by which how they produce the plant or the product that results from the plant is becoming more available and transparent to the public. And so the public then understands a little bit more about what's going on. So does that answer your question? I, I think so. I, I've got another one, though. So, um, you know, over the last decade, it's, it's kind of been the rise of CBD. Um, THC yep. is the psychoactive component that most people will be familiar with. But particularly in medical cannabis, CBD has been the thing. But there's over 100 other cannabinoids, some of which may presumably have a, a medical application. Is there a role for bioscience in helping to understand and isolate you know, exactly what that looks like so that we can, I guess, have more refined medical products? Absolutely. I think that there's a real need for consistency in this field. Um, taking an example from conventional agriculture, conventional, quote unquote, if you will, um, I believe that their genetics in the plant, say with corn or with rice, that will dictate if that rice plant is or that rice seed is planted in one area of the country versus another area of the country, you're essentially going to get generally the same product. Whereas in, I would say the hemp industry these days, whether one seed you get from one supplier is going to behave the same way, the seed from that same variety that you get from a different supplier is going to behave in a different area of the country, I think remains to be seen. So I think that Biosciences does play a role, and I think technology does play a role, especially given the work that we're doing in genetics, or should I say, excuse me, genomics, with understanding the genetics of the plant is really important because much of how we understand the genetics of the plant and how it dictates the chemical composition or the terpene composition or the minor phyto phytocannabinoid 
composition of the plant downstream is really, really important. And those happen to be areas that we have a great deal of interest in and is, plays a big part in our research and development focus for the business. Minor cannabinoids, CBD, and other variations or variants of CB, so CBV or say CBC, uh, how are those produced? To what extent they're produced, uh, how they're regulated. Now, let me just finish by saying that environment plays a big role here. And to what extent environment might play a role in the expression of either these minor phytocannabinoids or terpenes or other chemical substances really is, remains to be seen. And that's something that we're very excited about digging into. And so um, what do you think is next for research? Like what are the applications that um, you're hoping might um, sort of come to light with the space research or other research that you're doing? Well, I think in the area of genomics, let me start by saying uh, there's a lot to be yet to be discovered, understanding how certain parts or processes or mechanisms in the plants are regulated. We really just don't have a clue. You know, the one thing uh, that we're hoping with this space project is that what we're going to look at basically is how plant cells undergo gene expression changes or genetic mutations while they are in space. So while you're in space, you have cosmic rays, which could potentially cause mutations. And then you also have zero gravity, which is an environment that plants of the plants aren't used to, 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 to living in and being in. And I think what we're going to see in plants or what we anticipate seeing in this experiment is that there's a, um, you know, plants react to their environment, the stimulus of the environment. These are called, you know, um, tropisms, so if you will. So plants reaction to the environment is a tropism. And so plant reaction to light is phototropism. Plant reaction to gravity is gravitropism. And so there are genetics involved in the plant that sense this environment or these stimuli. And if you take away gravity as a stimulus, it's going to cause the plant to react differently and cause genes to be expressed differently. And so if you have differences in gene expression while plants are in space versus gene expression that's going to occur when plants are on the ground, understanding that differential gene expression will give us greater insight into growth of the plant, uh, detection of stimulus from the environment, and giving us a better understanding basically about how this plant uh, behaves in a unique environment. And so therefore, <clears throat> information from that plant being in that environment can be taken back to the lab to try to understand, well, hey, maybe certain differential gene expression might lead to characteristics of the plant or might lead us to understanding better how the plant develops so that we could do a better job when it comes down to breeding. And we can look for the expression of these genes as perhaps a positive attribute that we might want to bring out in the next breeding or crossing of a plant. Does that make sense? It does. Highly technical stuff. We are just about out of time. Um, I believe the flight is scheduled for March. Is that still the case? That's still the case, but uh, environment and weather always plays a factor. So the idea is that we're going to set it up for roughly 30 days. However, if the weather doesn't cooperate, we might launch later. And the same goes for reentry. If the, the weather or the environmental situation isn't correct, then there's a good chance that the uh, experiment might actually last a little bit longer. But we've accounted for all that. And so we're looking forward to being able to move forward as quickly as we can. Fantastic. Well, stay in touch and we might catch up with you when the space weed comes back. 
<laughs> I would love to let you know what's going on. And uh, it's a, been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on your show. All right. Thanks for joining us on the show today. This has been uh, Dr. Christopher Zalewski, Director of Research and Co-Founder of Front Range Bioscience. Looking for an easy way to keep up with your annual 3CR subscription? You can now set up an annual debit from your bank account or credit card, and once a year your payment will be automatically deducted. You can cancel at any time and you'll get a reminder each year before payment. Be a constant supporter of Melbourne's precious independent community radio station and set up a recurring payment today. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. psychedelia on 3cr and do subscribe it does help us uh to reach more people um and keep everything going and improving here at 3cr 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe uh the next interview um i had a little bit of trouble with some of the audio so the, the it's the, it's it's all right i fixed it up but it's just a little bit funny so just apologies for that it's 3cr This is In Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. On the line now, we have Labour member in the ACT for the seat of Yerubai, covering uh, Gungahlin and the eastern suburbs of uh, Belconan. Uh, Michael Peterson, is it Peterson? You've got a double T in there, and I just have been curious about the pronunciation. Uh, Michael, welcome. Uh, Good to be here. It's uh, Michael Peterson. It is uh, Pedersen. Pedersen, it's a Scandinavian origin. Right, yeah, I thought I saw the double T and I'm like, no, that's not going to be Peterson. So, um, anyway, M- Michael, you've been um, uh, quite the uh, quite quite progressive on a number of issues. I mean, we always get that coming out of the ACT, small, and uh, you seem to have a lot of uh, well-educated people there, perhaps. Maybe that's got something to do with it. But um, recently, uh, the ACT has uh, decriminalised uh, cannabis uh, possession, um, the uh, growth of a small number of plants, um, and that went into act, um, I believe it was February 1st, was it? Uh, no, it was very end of January. Uh, very end of January. So that's now been nearly a, nearly a month in. Um, how are things travelling? And this was a, 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 an act that you really, um, really pushed, and um, congratulations, by the way. But how are things travelling nearly a month in? Thank you. Uh, I can safely confirm that the sky has not fallen in uh, here in Canberra. Life is pretty much the same as it was beforehand. Uh, for the most part, people that were choosing to use cannabis were choosing to use it under the old laws and those same people will probably choose to use cannabis under these new laws. For the most part, laws don't dictate whether or not people are going to use uh, substances. Uh, what the laws do is they change how, as a society, we respond to those people. Would simply be people that use substances should seek medical help if they need it. They don't need to go to jail because it won't make the situation better. So, so um, what else is going on other than the fact that it's been decriminalised? We know that drug policy is a, is a complex space and you need to do a number of other things all at once. You can't just you know, do, do decriminalisation without something else. Um, is there further funding going into harm reduction? Is there a change to the education model? Um, what, what's that space looking like um, with this new uh, with decriminalisation? 
with the laws coming into effect, the government rolled out a new health campaign to actually talk about the facts about cannabis use. The government's got a pretty straightforward line when it comes to people using cannabis. Cannabis isn't particularly good for you. We don't encourage people to use it. If you are to use it, these are some of the side effects that you might expect. But we think that they are best addressed by going through the health system not the criminal justice system. So we're being uh, very forthright, we're being upfront and honest with people about what cannabis actually is. And I don't really think there was the case before. When you've got a prohibition model that's based on the simple premise of just saying no, no, no. You can't actually have an honest conversation with people about these substances. Uh, and as a result, I think the cannabis community is better informed about uh, any of the potential harms associated with cannabis, but people can, for the most part, just make a better, more informed decision. But you're speaking my language, but um, I, I'm also thinking here that that is an argument for decriminalisation more broadly of drugs. So what's what's next on the agenda? Is, uh, is that something that you've been looking at, that, uh, that the Labor Party and the ACT have been looking at? Look, I've got a very broad philosophical view that people are best served going through the health system and not the criminal justice system to address uh, any of any uh, substance abuse or just the general harms associated with using drugs. That's a pretty broad philosophy. There are differences between the substances that really uh, shape policy. For example, uh, cannabis for the most part, you know, you've got cannabis. Uh, when someone goes and buys cannabis, uh, there's no real concern that they might be uh, purchasing another drug. Whereas for some of the more uh, chemical pill, pill paced uh, drugs, uh, there is inherently a risk as to what substance you are actually consuming. Uh, so there, there are differences between the drugs and the public policy approach you have to take to them. Uh, the legalisation or decriminalisation, as you keep putting it, uh, of cannabis is one of the more straightforward ones uh, that we can achieve with the current Commonwealth laws as they are. There's no, so the reason why I'm using the word decriminalisation is because one of the major factors that's missing from, from this picture in the ACT at the moment um, that we are seeing uh, where legalisation of cannabis is called overseas is, um, is the market. Um, at the moment, the, the setup is um, that you can't, cannot trade um, cannabis. You, you, there's no, no trading allowed. You're allowed to grow it. You're allowed to possess it. But there's no, uh, no market um, allowed for it. Um, we know that um, in the US there have been all sorts of different examples uh, of, uh, of models for, um, for retail, um, everything down to fairly controlled um, government monopolies. Uh, I mean, what's your sort of take on that? Is that something that you would perhaps look at in the future and what sort of direction do you think um, would be a more Australian approach? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. In the ACT, we've legalised the possession of 50 grams of cannabis. We've legalised a household to grow uh, four plants to a maximum of two per adult. Uh, we've developed a new wet limit, which allows people to harvest their plant and not have that counted towards their 50 grams of dry cannabis. We've created new offences about smoking in public. Uh, we've created new offences about smoking around children. Uh, some of the previous limitations about how you were to grow cannabis in your household under the previous decriminalisation system remain intact. What we haven't done is we haven't created a marketplace like you've, uh, you've talked about. But we've created a pretty robust possession scheme. We have scope under uh, current Commonwealth laws 
to uh, work within the possession laws. You don't really have scope to work within the supplier or trafficking side. So from, from what I understand, uh, although there's not really that, that market mechanism um, available in the legislation in the ACT, um, it does sort of look like there might be scope for uh, people to form sort of community groups, community gardening groups, um, like the sort of thing we've seen uh, in Spain and in, uh, I think, Paraguay or uh, other parts, other parts of the world where there isn't a market available, but people have... Uh, created these sort of cannabis social clubs where they can grow together, kind of like how a community garden works. I mean, is that is that something that's possible with the ACT legislation? It's a really good question, and the short answer is no, it's not. Uh, amendments brought forward to my bill pretty explicitly rule out the possibility of someone running a cannabis social club in the ACT. However, the key point is, I'm broadly of the view that within the possession space of the law, you could probably get a cannabis social club model working. You'd have to be particularly careful that you didn't run afoul of drug trafficking laws, because uh, there are a bunch of actions and activities that you might do in running a cannabis social club that might run you afoul of those. But if you were aware of them and worked within the possession sphere, I think it's possible to get cannabis social clubs, uh, I guess, active in this country uh, with a few more changes in across states and territories. And I think that could be a bit more of a Australian model if we want to sort of characterise things that way, because I don't think we've got the same sort of fervour for uh, creating a market out of everything that we see in the US, though there are some people that want that sort of model uh, in Australia, but I don't think we are like that. And uh, perhaps in Australia, that would be something that's more, uh, you know, a more, a more positive model um, that can also then uh, be a source for distributing information about cannabis use, for being a, uh, a reference point for uh, people to uh, contact help if they need help, uh, all, all those sorts of things, the sort of things that we see community organisations already doing uh, in Australia. Yeah, all great points. Uh, the supply question in Australia is quite a complicated one. If you were to just uh, ignore the existence of laws as they say today and wanted to craft a solution to the supply side, and you do quite genuinely uh, need to answer some questions on the supply side, because with our laws to legalise the possession and personal use of cannabis, we've done nothing to address the supply side. And right now, overwhelmingly, the supply of cannabis comes from organised criminal gangs, uh, and that's not good. So, to address that problem, you really need to start looking uh, at what it is we're trying to address. Are we trying to make cannabis uh, more accessible? Are we simply just trying to remove the profits from all most uh, criminal gangs? Uh, are we trying to make cannabis uh, something that is more uh, socially available? Uh, when you kind of weigh up a bunch of these questions, all of the models have some pros and cons. The retail model, for example, uh, pretty quick, uh, simple, uh, there'd be a lot of uh, corporations that would be more than willing to jump in and kind of help jumpstart an industry like that. But from what I've seen in other places around the world that set up uh, retail stores, uh, they often overwhelmingly uh, open up in communities of colour and disadvantaged areas and really kind of push that product in those communities, which yes. isn't good. Uh, and you then also have, uh, I guess, these corporations pursuing profit maybe at the, uh, I guess, against the best interests of the wider community in which they operate. You then have something like a cannabis social club, which arguably uh, is a little bit slower, less easy to get into than a retail model, uh, and also kind of requires some organisational work from others. 
uh, doesn't have that same commercial imperative. Uh, or then you've got something like the ACT model, which is for the most part based on the Vermont model uh, in the United States of America, where individuals uh, can grow their own, but for the most part, people probably aren't going to start growing their own. They're probably going to rely on some of the same uh, supply channels that they used before. That's the perennial question when uh, when we are reforming these laws. It's uh, it's a multi-trillion dollar global market, the drug black market, and uh, uh, shifting that to a legal um, framework is is just going to be a lot of work. So, uh, big big job. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's really interesting uh, as a legislator in that there's kind of these looming. Uh, cannabis companies that really want to get into this space and start making money. Uh, and one of the things that you really need to consider as someone that quite literally shapes public policy is that do these cannabis companies have the best interests of the Australian community at the heart of their operations or are they just trying to make money? Uh, so as a legislator, you kind of need to balance those things. Mm. Yes, yeah, exactly. Because um, if, if it, I think that's the that's the issue when when you do give it over to private uh, private enterprise, you either heavily regulate and then they don't like that, or um, uh, they communicate in a way that's focused on maximising their profits uh, rather than perhaps being honest about what their product uh, does, about the negative effects um, that it might have, um, uh, about all those sorts of things. And then you also get things like dishonest uh, targeting strategies uh, uh, that might be you know focused at kids or disadvantaged populations. There's all sorts of all sorts of uh, problems in there, and you know it's a regulatory nightmare to to allow a market and then try to regulate everything because you'll never inevitably have the, the free market people as well. But then you know the the alternative, there's still a market there. It's still there no matter what. What happens when you have uh, a fully legalised system in which people can uh, grow commercial amounts and sell uh, sell cannabis? Uh, the cannabis, for the most part, is actually a pretty easy plant to grow. Uh, you can grow large and vast amounts of cannabis on, on one farm. Uh, and when it's, cannabis is not an illegal substance, but just a regular crop, the price of cannabis drops. The United States of America, with legalization spreading across all these different states in all these different forms, uh, the price of cannabis, the real public policy question is, uh, what price should cannabis be? And then what price is a legal supply they get undercut by a re-emerging black market. Yeah, ex- exactly. Uh, it's a. I feel like we're going to um, continue to, to to discuss this over the coming months and years. I'd would love to catch up with you in the future. It sounds like you're um you know passionate about uh, really looking into these things. And t- sorry, did you say twenty? Did I hear that right? <laughs> 28. 12, 28. I was going to say 20. Um, 28. Okay, that, that's um, still pretty young. Are you like the youngest politician to ever be elected to parliament in Australia? Well, one of the interesting things about the Australian capital territory uh, is that we've got multi-member electorates. So in each electorate, uh, there's five electorates of five members. And what happens when you've got a proportional representation, uh, you often get candidates that aren't alike. Uh, in the ACT Parliament, we've got a majority female chamber. Uh, we have historically always had a couple of quite young people in Parliament, as well as just a full spread through the ages. Uh, to answer your question, am I the youngest? Uh, at the moment, I am, uh, but I'm not the youngest ever. When I was first elected at age 25, I was, I think, the third youngest right, ever okay. elected. Uh, 
the youngest ever parliamentarian ever elected in Australia actually comes from the ACT's parliament. Uh, but yeah, let that be a lesson. No, uh, it's 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 good news. Uh, I just you know it looks like the. The uh, grass is greener. I'm getting a bit of grass is greener for the ACT, although, you know, we, we have uh, things okay in Victoria, but um, uh, it, it does seem like it's just that little bit easier in the ACT. Um, hey, what's next on uh, on your agenda as well? What's, uh, what's your next challenge that you'll be sinking your teeth into? Well, uh, I've actually got uh, my re-election up in October of right. this year, so I'm going to spend uh, a lot of this year knocking on doors, uh, holding local street stalls and uh, just campaigning to uh, kind of win my seat back. Uh, it's, every election's hard fought, uh, so every bit of uh, support that I can get will go a long way towards uh, making sure I get re-elected. Before uh, we head off, um, so are you going to start growing a few plants in your backyard? Look, I'm actually the worst gardener you can imagine. I'm a, I'm a pretty young guy. I'm 20 years old. I'm a oh. an odd politician. Uh, every pot plant I've ever had in my house, and I'm even talking of cannabis variety, just dies. Uh, <laughs> so I can't imagine trying to grow any cannabis myself would be particularly fruitful. Uh, however, I've had countless people reach out talking to me about how they plant to start growing cannabis, for, maybe not even to use it just for the novelty of growing one. Uh, so, yes, uh, I will not be growing cannabis, but there are lots of people in Canada that will be. Well, I suspect uh, the, the gardening communities will find um, that there's there's other purposes for cannabis and you can grow it for, uh, for other reasons. Maybe it can be part of your cottage garden. Um, thanks very much for joining us, Michael. Mate, my pleasure. Michael Pedersen there, a member of the Legislative Assembly in the ACT for the Labor Party, um, who uh, helped to legalise or decriminalise uh, cannabis in the ACT, which has now passed and people can now grow a couple of plants, just a couple of plants, very conservative um, in terms of what we're seeing worldwide in terms of legalisation, but it's a step. Uh, it's in Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM, 3CR Digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. And just a quick announcement for anyone heading to Babylon in the Park today. Um, High Alert has been informed that there is a pretty intensive police presence there, sniffer dogs, and um, they're kind of searching people pretty thoroughly. So heads up to anyone heading down there today. Yes. Um, God, that is today, isn't it? Yeah, Babylon in the Park. That's a um, big... Uh, that's if, a Sydney If I Meyer. wasn't here, I would have been there with High Alert. Is it Sydney Meyer? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, that's there just to just to keep in mind. And also, if you want to uh, listen back to episodes on the dis- discussion about sniffer dogs, uh, head to our website, npsychedelia.org, uh, with our search function. You can search through old podcasts and uh, find uh, information there and our discussion on that. And I'm sure it's something we'll be discussing uh, more again in the future. It's uh, 3CR. Don't have a million dollars and still want to have a good education for your kid? Tune into the Dogs Program. We are the defenders of government schools. 12pm on Saturdays here on 3CR. 855 and the AM Dial podcast streaming live on 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. We defend government schools because they need it. Midnight Mass brings a doof to the airwaves on 3CR every Tuesday at midnight. 
We spotlight the dark side of psychedelic trance with regular guest segments to talk electronic music production, DJing and news in the scene. Get your dark and twisted sounds on 3CR every Tuesday morning from 12am to 2am. Hi, my name's Pilar Aguilera and I'm 3CR's chairperson. I'm urging you to become a 3CR subscriber. We need to keep independent, radical, dissenting voices on air. Social change doesn't just happen, we need to nurture it. We desperately need to hear alternative ideas that allow us to organise, build community and change the systems that continue to oppress us and destroy the planet. Put your money where your mouth is. Become a member. Subscribe today. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. This is In Psychedelia. We talk drug policy, we talk drug news, we talk uh, the culture around it and the community that uh, exists in this space. Uh, Ash. Next up, we are going to be having uh, Dr. Peter Rode joining us. Um, Peter recently wrote a blog post uh, basically titled Medical Cannabis is a Scam in Australia, and he's going to tell us all about his struggles trying to legally access medical cannabis. Uh, have we got him online? Yes, I'm here. How's it Welcome going? to the show. Thanks very much for having me. So... Um, Tell us a little bit about why you uh, why you wanted to access medical cannabis and um, yeah. what led you to writing this blog post about your frustrations. Yeah, so uh, it all started when I was in uh, in Europe, actually, where you can buy uh, CBD products. And I'm talking about CBD, not THC, so not the psychoactive one, just the, the one that has non-psychoactive properties to help with things like anxiety and sleep cycles. It's not addictive or recreational, doesn't have any abuse potential. And you can buy that over the counter in many European countries. And so I just trialed it out and uh, had a very positive response. So uh, when I got back to Australia, I wanted to follow up on this because I know that uh, we'd recently legalized medical cannabis uh, in Australia. And so that blog post I wrote was really a summary of what the whole set of hoops that I had to jump through to finally get through that process after many, many months of trying. And it was an absolutely unbelievable debacle whereby effectively nobody has the right to prescribe it. In the end, you get direct advice from the doctors to uh, just phone up one of these what they call dodgy telephone companies where they basically have uh, doctors that give you a five-minute appointment and say, yep, all good, and then write you a script and then then have the product delivered to you. And the whole thing is just so obviously set up as a very opaque in terms of price transparency scam whereby it's firstly inaccessible. Uh, You can't compete. There's no way of taking the script to different pharmacies. You can't behold a physical script and go and shop around the way you can with any other medicine. Instead, it's all this system of vertically integrated supply chains where the doctor is the same as the producer is the same as the distributor. In other words, it's exactly what you'd expect from some kind of racket. Yeah, right. 
So, and, and did you you ended up accessing some products? What was it? What was it like when you actually got the products? I mean, were they yeah. any good? Were they like well, how was the yeah, price? Yeah, well, when I finally got them, uh, then yes, at the end of the day, you have a product which is a you know pharmaceutically guaranteed with certain quality controls, the way you'd expect, uh, but it's not covered by PBS, even though it's a it's a recognised medicine. So you pay, pay full out of pocket expenses. It's a, not a competitive market. And so they have full vendor lock-in, these companies. And so for a little 25-milliliter bottle of this CBD product, which isn't very much, that's $400. That's essentially a bit of plant extract. So that's a huge amount of money. And people who rely on this heavily for things like pain relief are speaking to a friend the other day. His mother spends in excess of $10,000 a year out of pocket on these products, um, which uh, seems absolutely absurd for a completely safe, non-addictive alternative to things like opiates where you can just walk into a GP and, and just get them without any difficulties whatsoever. So for, um, for, for that 25 mil bottle, like how much supply was that for you? Is that like a month's worth? Uh, yeah, or? that actually lasts quite a while because I use uh, 0.1 mil at a time. It's, it's very, very high purity. So that lasts quite a while. Uh, but but that, that's just for my particular use. Other people use higher doses than that, depending upon what they use it for. If people have chronic pain or epileptic seizures, they might be using it much more frequently and, and more regularly than I do, for example. Yeah, and in your blog post, you said that you also you know, had a crack at the, um, the kind of grey market, so people that are yeah, kind of operating right. outside of that formal system. What was that that's like? That's right. Yeah, so that's where it becomes... Um, it's, it's easy to access it. It's, uh, it's certainly cheaper. But because it's the grey market um, and it's not over- overtly advertised as being what it is, that is, they'll sell it online as, quote, hemp oil. and then But when you privately email them, they say, oh, yeah, it, it actually has 10% CBD in it, so don't worry. But, of course, none of that's labels on the, on, the, on, the, on the bottle when you get that which means that, okay, so there's no way to enforce this guarantee. They could be taking you for a complete ride with this. There's absolutely no way, no way to know what you've got. Um, so at, at the end of the day, you're completely clueless. Now, if you're a, a medical user as opposed to someone who's buying street drugs for recreational purposes, well, you want to have guarantees as to what the product is that you've got and to know that it has regulated uh, content and quality the way any other medicine is. You don't want to buy... Uh, any other prescription medicine and then not be sure that it doesn't have maybe half as much of what it says it does or none of it at all. And so that's where the problem with the grey market stuff is. Yes, you can mail order it. Yes, it's reliable to get hold of, but there's no way of guaranteeing that it is what it is. And potentially a higher risk if you're trying to access a CBD product and it has THC Mm. in it, you may well experience things that you don't want to. No. No, precisely. Or, or alternately, it could be a, 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 a complete swindle, and it's just exactly that, hemp oil, and it doesn't even contain any of the pharmaceutical compounds whatsoever. Yeah, right. And and this was in New South Wales that you so This went was all, all from New South Wales, um, yeah. although um, it's under national legislation. I, I, my understanding is that, that uh, there are still some states where you can't legally access medical cannabis at all. In New South Wales, you can, and federally you can. Uh, and so actually the company that I legally purchased it from, it came mail-ordered from uh, Victoria. So it's part of a, a, a federal uh, system. 
Uh, but there are still some states, I believe, where you can't access it at all. And so when you actually did access it, um, it was mail ordered. Is, is that through a pharmacy? So you have to go to a doctor right. who tells you to go to somewhere else and yeah. then you phone a dodgy right. phone company. So the whole thing is vertically integrated. The doctor works for the producer. The producer is in uh, cooperation with a distributing pharmacy. I never see the script. I just turn up at the, at the co- cooperating pharmacy. Uh, uh, show that guy my Medicare card. Uh, he pulls it out from behind the counter, hands it over to me. Mind you, from his side, the, the actual complications of navigating the online system were so overwhelming. He sat there for almost 45 minutes trying to get through all the hurdles uh, and eventually gave up and, and just gave me the product and said, I'll finish this off later on because it's too complicated. And do you think that's what's driving this kind of dodginess is just the the regulations are so complex and so difficult to navigate mm. the companies that kind of figure out how to do it end up just yep. capturing the whole market uh that, that's correct basically basically the service that these companies provide these these uh, telephone companies uh their service is to navigate the system on your behalf that's what they're charging you that 95 dollars for that five minute phone call is is that they're acting as the middleman that uh, just streamlines the whole thing because they know how to do the paperwork. They know how to write the uh, the individual application to the uh, Therapeutic Goods Administration at the federal government. Uh, mind you, every single individual patient, even if it's not THC, just CBD, the non-recreational one, has to be individually approved by the federal government. And so these companies streamline that whole process for you. Whereas no GP, and I spoke to neurologists, I spoke to psychiatrists, None of them can be bothered to do the paperwork. It's way too complicated. Uh, right. So they just gave direct advice, get it done by these guys. They know how to do it. Right. And so I guess what would be your advice then for other people that might be listening, you know, and yeah. want to access it? Are they better off yeah. just sticking with the grey market then? Or um, Yes, yeah, so this, this is where it's tricky. Um, if it's the grey market, then as I said, you do take some risk that you may not be getting what you think you're getting because it's all off-label and it's, it, you can't legally guarantee that it, that it is what it, is, it says it is. Whereas if it's completely um, uh, above market, then uh, then it, it's, it's subject to, to pharmaceutical quality controls and, and they're, they're legally required to, to provide what they say they're providing. So personally, my advice is that if you have a medical condition and you need reliability, then the best thing to do is to use the telephone go- company guys. Um, there, there aren't that many in competition with, with one another. They don't offer transparency in their pricing. They don't advertise the prices online up front. You have to uh, basically go through their upfront costs beforehand and then you're effectively locked in with them. And then you find out what the costs are. So the whole thing is completely opaque. But if you need it for strict medical purposes, then really that's the only practical way to do it. Otherwise, there's the risk of uncertainty. Right. Well, and I think that um, the Senate inquiry into medical cannabis, I believe, has extended the deadline mm. for submission. So that, That's correct. I believe it's to, uh, to March some point. And I actually just submitted my blog post that you mentioned to that inqu- uh, extended Senate inquiry. I hope they've got a sense of humor about it. Yeah, right. Well, and I think that, um, I mean, putting it in pretty plain English terms, hopefully will be helpful, you know, for the people reading it to to just understand like that for a, for a consumer, it Mm. it very much feels and looks like a scam. 
Well, precisely, and not just a monetary scam, but also the whole waiting period. I mean, if you've got a serious medical condition, if someone told you, oh, you need chemotherapy, for example, and then it took you three months of uh, running around between doctor to doctor to doctor and spending thousands of dollars in upfront costs to finally get the product you need, well, by that time, it would be too late. Uh, There are people with far more serious conditions than what I have, people suffering, for example, epilepsy, where where they suffer ongoing seizures and they, they need this kind of medicine. Well, sitting around for three months is completely unacceptable for people like that. It, it, they cannot reasonably be expected to be subject to that. So um, we do have to wrap it up shortly, but just before yeah. we go, when um, when I kind of read your blog and, and had a bit of a look around, I realised you are the same person that recently created a calendar about the New <laughs> South Wales Police Sniffer Dog Program. Can you tell us quickly about that? Yeah, so I spent my, my hobbies for the last for the last year, 2019, was um, on the uh, New South Wales Police Instagram feed, um, always writing smart aleck comments in relation to to their social media posts because um, I'm a very very big critic of the uh, the illegal uh, sexual uh, uh, strip searching, which let's face it is a form of sexual assault, particularly when it comes to minors. And so I spent uh, a year trolling them, and then I made a calendar of my favourite collection of Instagram posts with my comments underneath it. Underneath it, so you can uh, download your <laughs> your free 2020 New South Wales Police calendar with all of my witty Instagram comments. And uh, to find that, you can go to Peter's blog, um, Peter Road. That's r o h d e dot org slash blog. Um, thanks for joining us on the show and congratulations for so clearly articulating what medical cannabis patients have been telling us for a long time. Thank you. And I hope that it helps uh, some people from going through what I had to go through. All right. Thanks again. Thank Thank you very much, Peter. Uh, Those links as well to his blog are on Facebook and uh, Twitter. uh, And we might also put a link on our website, which is in psychedelia.org, where we've got lots of information. um, Also, plenty of uh, the podcasts and a nice search function. So if there's a topic uh, that's particularly of interest to you, you can find uh, interviews uh, with people either by typing in the name of the person you want to uh, see uh, the podcast for. So um, so maybe a specific guest uh, or by typing in uh, certain topics they're all in there. Uh, we are just about uh, finished for the afternoon. Uh, tomorrow is International Family Drug Support Day. This is a day uh, that acknowledges the role of families in supporting people with addictions. Um, if you go to internationalfdsday.fds.org.au, you can find local events, a lot of the addiction services around the country and indeed around the world. Um, put on uh, lunches and morning teas, that kind of thing. And uh, also uh, this afternoon is the Queer Lunar New Year uh, and there's an event happening from 6pm onwards at the Night Heron and that is an announcement from Queering Near who are up next uh, on 3CR uh, and uh, again, website for podcasts of previous shows uh, including Queering Near, including our own, including Freedom of Species and many other shows on 3CR at 3cr.org.au. That's the easiest place to find all the shows. Subscribe while you're there and uh, uh, help support... 3CR, 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Comments, complaints, or contributions are welcome. Jump on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au, and head to the Encyclopedia program page. Get in contact with us on Facebook or Twitter, or send us an email. Encyclopedia does not condone or condemn people who use drugs for their choices. 
Our aim is to present the diverse intersections of psychoactive drugs and society. If you are concerned about your own drug use or a friend's drug use, Direct Line provides a free and confidential counselling service 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Call 1-800-888-236. And Psychedelia will be back on 3CR from 2pm next Sunday. This has been a 3CR podcast. You can hear In Psychedelia Live every Sunday from 2pm. Head to 3cr.org.au for more.